Welcome to Rewind the Movies. It was Valentine's Day this week, so we thought we'd go with a romantic comedy, and we're looking back at When Harry Met Sally. The film starts when Sally gives Harry a ride back to New York after they both graduate from the University of Chicago. The film jumps through their lives as they both search for love, but fail, bumping into each other time and time again. Finally, a close friendship blooms between them, and they both like having a friend of the opposite sex. If you haven't seen this film, chances are you're aware of one particular scene, and that's the orgasm scene in the diner. Some of the panel hadn't seen this film before, while others had seen it and absolutely love it as regards to its storytelling. On this episode, it's myself, Andrew Owen, James Prigodage, aka Prague, and Adam Flewellen from The Veil Cartoon. Anyway, let's jump straight into the episode. Here you go. Right, I don't have much of a memory of this film. Um, simply because of, well, no, I'll take a step back, right? I thought I had a memory of this film, of watching it, I mean, and that's, I'm wrong, because when I watched it the other night, there was large portions of that film I definitely have not seen before. And do you know why I think I've got a memory of this film? It's because it's in every bloody movie, greatest list, whatever, or scenes, and everyone always shows the orgasm scene. And I was, and I was started watching this film, and I was thinking, I, yeah, I've definitely seen this before. I, I don't, have, I can't remember it, but I've definitely seen it. And I watched it, and I was just like, yep, never seen this film at all in my life. But I must have seen that orgasm scene about a million times. So, as regards to memories, I'm coming over to you guys on this. The first time I ever saw it was when I uh, was starting to get into films and kind of figuring out who directors were after I saw the film Taxi Driver, a big, big setup for me. And um, I, watched, I, remember, I remember seeing Misery and realising it was the same director as Spinal Tap. And I seeked this one out. And, I, and I, another time, I was not really into romantic comedies, but I thought, you know what, Ad? You get into films, it's time to test the boundaries here. And I remember renting it from my local blockbuster to watch it. And that's what happened. How old were you then? Uh, about 13, 14, something like that. Pretty young. That's when I first, because I used to love horror, because I always loved films, but Taxi Driver, when I first saw that when I was about 13 or 14, that was the one that was like, films, I, I started to realise film was. So like, what, what what did you think of the film back then? Not now, but back then. I liked it. You know, it's, a, it's an easier, it's a decent comedy, romantic comedy, you know. Um, I forgot a lot about it, going to watch it last night. I, I We'll get into it more as we go on, but um, I've forgotten quite a lot of it there. Okay. But I've seen it on TV a few times over the years as well. Right. Well, I'm interested to see how this discussion goes because I'd say this is one of my favourite films. I love a rom-com. Well, I was just about to ask you, right, that very question. Is it, is it the genre? Is it the type of film? You know, what, what is it that makes it one of your favourite films? Um, I I was trying to think about this earlier while I was watching it because I think I think we're all fans of a film where you can just sit down and you don't have to think too much about it, and I think that's why I, I enjoy rom coms in particular. And I think for you guys, I I'm the same as you guys, but I think for you guys, your your version would be action films. Where yeah, I agree. The, there are certain action films where you can just switch your brain off. It just you just watch it, you enjoy it, you don't have to think about it again. So that and while I am like that with action films as well, I'm also like that with a romantic comedy. There's almost and with most romantic comedies, you've got to have a suspension of belief. I think it's almost like the fair the fairy tale come real, uh, where you get it's called the meat cute, isn't it? In the, in the film or the story where the two people that wouldn't normally get together, they meet for the first time and that's where the film is propelled then along their, their, their story. But the re I think one of the main reasons why I like Har When Harry Met Sally and I think why it's held up as one of the best examples of the rom-com is because if it feels very natural in the arc that their relationship takes, like to begin with, they you get the impression that they're almost rubbing each other up the wrong way, even though they might be a physical attraction on one or both sides. 
you get the impression that they're not going to get on. But then the more time they spend together later on, when they both, you could say, somewhat matured, how much Harry's matured, I don't know. But when they both matured, they, uh, they're, they're more sort of agreeable to each other. But sorry, I was going off into the actual film then. But I, I yeah, it's, it's definitely what I've, I've seen this film so many times over, I don't know, the last 20 years. I think I first watched it when I was about 17 or 18. Can I ask you a question? And yes. If, you know, if you just met a girl and you said, yeah. come back to my place and watch a film, would this be like a go-to film for you to put on? No. <laughs> no. <it's>... No. <laughs> no. <laughs> what, what, what film would you put on, Prog? Oh, God, I don't know, but honestly, I think... The Prod. Oh, yeah. Well, the uh, the, the, docu- <laughs> the documentary about the... Uh, yeah. About the, the guy who gave the story of uh, <laughs> Richard Nixon, is it? Yeah. Um, do you know what? I think if I, was, if I was on a date and I was lucky enough to get a girl to come back to my place, then it would be a case of just... Um, pardon the first word I'm going to use here, but flicking through the channels... No, you got, like, you got to have a plan. Yeah, come back to mine. Come back to mine, babe. Let's flick through the channels. Yeah, <laughs> I've got. I never had a plan for when I go on a date. Got to flick them channels. Yeah. Uh, yeah, put you on the spot there, Prog. Sorry. I'll tell you the first film I ever watched with uh, a previous girlfriend, and I was Avatar. Wow. And that was because we got into an argument about how they had sex. All right. <laughs> So you'd seen the film already and you were just going back to how how it actually happened in the film? Yeah, it was more a case of we'll put Avatar on and we'll see who's right about this. And I was right, because I said they had sex the human way, which was dumb, because if they had those two tails that connected with, you know, nature and the other creatures on the planet, why didn't they, why didn't they connect by their tails? And they didn't. And the girl that I was on the date with thought that they had connected by the tails. I want us to do Avatar just so we can have this discussion in depth. Um, <laughs> I just think you're back. You know, you were on about flicking the channels. But I, yeah, I remember like you know, back in the day, you'd go to Blockbuster. You know, you're having, having a, you know, a night in with said girlfriend and you'd go to Blockbuster and pick the film. And going back to what you said about what type of film I would like to watch... Like, inevitably, I, I would l- probably let them choose. But if they chose a rom-com, I'd be like, oh, really? S- secretly under my breath. Can I just say something now? I think, mistakenly, most men at a certain point thought that Armageddon was the saving grace because it was all butch men going to save the world, but you had a so-called love story between Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck, that, let's be honest, was just absolute rubbish. Always. It was not even a love story. But be, boys being boys, we thought, oh, she'll like it because that's in there. Whereas we want to see Bruce Willis save the world. In my opinion, what, what's always worked best for me is a shit horror film. Not like an 80s shit horror film. I mean, like, a sort of modern day, something like... Wolf Creek or not that's a shit film but like that sort of like era of horror like the Grudge remake or something bloody hell but why, why would that work because you can kind of talk through shit through it and horror films are the best things to watch uh, he's just hoping no no like yeah go watch it with with a partner and, and they're there cowering into your neck or your shoulder I, I, I disagree with what you're saying here because I think some people genuinely genuinely hate horror films so usually, the, and this is when the, the woman's always uh, suggested them. They're like, "Such an aura, such an aura." That's what every woman like. Such an aura, and they would get out the, um, the the DVD disc wallet, open it up, and they'd be like, "Let's watch Grudge 2 or something like that." And you'd sit down and watch it for two minutes. There's no way I'd watch Grudge 2 on a date because they're crap. You can talk for them. You don't mind talk because this sort the film is so bad. You can kind of talk for it. That's, that's what you want. you want. You want a bad film, you can just talk shit through. And then get down to. I, I always found there was one of two ways watching a film on a date. You were either 
I was always either really invested in watching the film. Yeah. Or I was really invested in doing something else. I remember the first time I watched with Liz, my, my, my uh, significant other. Your current bow, yeah. It was White Chicks. <laughs> I thought, that's what it was, it was White Chicks. We watched White Chicks. We had, we had a KFC in my house, in the house, and we had uh, and we watched White Chicks. That's when you knew it, it was the one for you, was it? It was, yeah, it was. We watched White Chicks. Uh, my previous go-to film was Gladiator. I don't know if there's a few dates of first time, you know, watching a film with a, with another with, with another half, um, and it was Gladiator. Well, I I'd like to know what was the first film you watched with Rachel? Because as we're all well, I think the listeners might be aware now that Rachel isn't a film fan. Um, she's a film fan. Well, she she likes the film, just doesn't like the same films as me. Um, oh, I don't okay. know. That's why she doesn't watch them with it, right? I'd have to ask Rach. She might know. Although saying that, she wouldn't remember. <laughs> I can remember the first films I watched with all my girlfriends, actually, come to think of it. I can just, it's in my head right now. I, I got a nice um, Armageddon story, but I can't say it on, on air. <laughs> so I'll have to tell you that off, offline. I went on a date to watch my big fat Greek wedding. Nice. And that was okay as a film. The date went quite well as well. Although someone did answer their phone in the middle of the cinema. Ah, oh, shocking. Oh, and it was like, what? I turned around and I was like, Nate, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> but uh, That happened to me during Halloween Kills. This guy, this proper Cardiff guy answered this phone was just like, oh, bro, I'm in the cinema right now. I can't talk at the moment. Call me later. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you. He was like, just having a, but he was still having a full conversation. He went on for like five minutes. I was like, what the fuck, man? What was, that, what was that story you told me the other day about the guy in the cinema? Oh, this is the best. I got. To, I know this is veering off topic wildly, but um, years and years ago, right, and uh, it was Batman Begins. The film was right. Um, how we got on this topic now? But um, it was a packed house. First night, Batman Begins was showing right, and in Ebbervale, there's a cinema. Well, just outside of Ebbervale, called the Market Hall Cinema, which is like a council building. It sounds it sounds similar to the Coliseum, Coliseum in Aberdeen. Yeah. Yeah. One one screen, that's all there is in there. One screen, and that's it, right? And the films are normally like a month behind normal yeah. films. Exactly like yeah. that, right? Exactly like that, right? But but if the film is a big enough blockbuster, it gets opening day and sort of like Batman Begins did, right? Packed, packed, packed cinema, right? Um, full to the rafters, and um, there was these fucking there was these there was these three kids sat like a row ahead of me, three teenagers, right? This one boy, boy and two girls. One, one boy and two girls, right? And this boy was just trying to, like, really impress these two girls. And he was just being a knob, right? He was just... Co- Every time something came up on the screen, he'd go, hey, it's Batman! Dinner, 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 Batman! Meh, 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 All the way through the... And everyone in the cinema was like, shut up! Even I was like, shut up! My friends would all tell him to shut up. Everyone was just constantly telling him to shut up, right? And he was ruining the film for everyone, right? People were fuming. Staff were coming in to tell him to shut up. Anyway... Finally, right, about half hour, 40 minutes into the film, this fucking roided guy, neck, neck like a t- tree trunk, just went up to him. This veins of pulsing, just kind of like put his hands on the chair, went into his face, was like, you shut up, I got a glue. Like, literally, so loud. Everyone, no one in the cinema was watching the film. It was just all eyes on this guy. And then this guy just kind of like walked back to, like he was carrying carpets back to his chair. And the kid was just sat there like that for the rest of the film, just like, just like silence, just ruined him in front of these two girls he fancied as well. It was fucking brutal, but <laughs> I'll never forget that image. You're not sure about glue! Only an Ebervale, eh? Complete rage. Right, back to the film. Favourite aspect. Prog, come on, you, you seem a little bit more invested in this film than me and Adam, so what have you got? Uh, I I could I could name quite a few things, but for this occasion, I'm just going to go on about the screenplay. I love the screenplay, the writing of the characters, the dialogue, the setup and payoff. I think it's uh, incredibly well done. I've actually read the screenplay, um, and it's so easy to read. And obviously, I think that's. They say that that's one way you can tell whether a screenplay is good or not is, you know, how easy it is to get through. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's a great, great screenplay. I, and, of course, it's, it's, it's written by Nora Ephron, 
um, the majority of it is, but um, I, I, I do know from reading articles and documents, watching documentaries that Rob Reiner, who was, uh, was a friend of hers, uh, who was the director, helped with some of the dialogue and um, male aspects. Uh, and also Billy Crystal helped with some of the dialogue when they were recording or shooting the, the scenes as well. But yeah, for me on this occasion, the screenplay. I agree with Very the sort of setup and payoff. I think they, it, the film is quite simple in its premise and in you know what happens. It's a journey between two people and that, that journey is them coming together. Um, and I, I think it's really good. So would you class this as a New Year's Eve film? Only because of the end scene. That's, no. the, that's the only reason I asked. Because I, I was watching it and I was thinking, ah, oh, I sort of wish I'd watched it on New Year's Eve. And I, I watched it maybe three or four days after. I, I think because the the whole film is set over such a long period, I, can't, I don't think you can attribute it to one particular festivity, if that's the word. Like, you couldn't class this as a Christmas film, even though Christmas is in it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I, I threw that in there as a bit of a curveball. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you on the screenplay. My, one My favourite aspect, and I didn't think it was going to be this, and I have a bit of a love-hate hate relationship with him, it's Billy Crystal. Really? Yeah. Um, there are elements of his character I I hate. Yeah. But at the same time, I see me in him. Like, no, like the emotional range of a of a gnat. I've used that phrase before, which is me. Like literally, like yeah. I just saw me in him. Very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> like I, I, I see, I'm the other way around. I I my favorite aspect of the film was Sally Meg Ryan. I didn't like Billy Crystal in this. He annoyed the fucking shit out of me. And this, and that's and you're annoying. That's not to say you're an annoying person, but Billy Crystal by the end of it, I was like, mate, like. I, I think it's because right. I I hated him in the beginning, and I just maybe grew to love him as the film went on. And I think I hated him because he was obnoxious and you know he had an opinion. Although he has an opinion at the end, I suppose. But I I just found him interesting. Let's put it that way. He's supposed to be the wisecracking sort of, I, I, I'll say lovable in inverted commas, but he's supposed to be one of those type of type of uh, people, isn't he? But like, it's, I thought Meg Ryan was great. By the way, I, did, I read about this as well. How old do you reckon Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan were in this film? But I know. I see Billy Crystal was in his 30s. You think he was in his 30s? And I think Meg Ryan was in her mid twenties. Yeah, go slightly higher on both of them. Billy Crystal was twenty, was forty-one, and Meg Ryan was twenty-eight. So I have a Cash question back. on this, or an observation on this, because <laughs> Billy Crystal is one year older than me in in this yeah. film, Tuella. And I was thinking, Jesus Christ, do I look that old? Bear in mind, he would have been no. a year younger when filming it as well. So. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, because I watched this with Liz and Liz, because I, I said to Liz, how old do you reckon Billy Crystal is? And she was like 48 or something. I was like, no, he's 41. Yeah. She thought he was older. I she, thought he was older as well. She thought he was, she thought he was like 48. I, I didn't think he was older, but that's only because of the, <laughs> the conversation that we always have about how people look much older from the 80s. Yeah. So, also, yeah, I agree that Billy Crystal does look old in the film, but I just attributed that to the decade that they were in. Do you think he's a handsome man? Did you ask Liz that question by any chance? I, I, I don't think he is an handsome... I think he's a handsome... I don't think he's an ugly man, but he's... So, I know, think he's an everyman, isn't he? The, the only reason I ask is because throughout the film, they, they a number of times they say to him, or say about him, oh, he's a good-looking guy. And I was just thinking... No, is they he, say he's cute. If he can, I was thinking, if he can get Meg Ryan, there's hope for the rest of us. The bit when he bangs Meg Ryan and she's lying in the bed being, like, gasping for more, and he's just like, nah, I'm done, love. And he just walks out. I'm like, what the... F how big yeah, is but that? hang on a minute now. In terms of the film mechanics, right, the, the reason he walks out is because he's shitting a brick. It's because he's just slept with a woman. And, of course, it comes to the end, and he realises that he actually does love her. So that's why he's run away from it. Because he's been hurt before. Yeah, but, you know, 
I'm just saying right now. <laughs> That's not reality. If you have Meg Ryan there just being like, do me again, you're just not going to walk out with it, are you? Absolutely <laughs> not. No, you'd have, you'd have to drag me out of there. Bit to it, he's like, you know, this short little guy, and he's just like, he's got this, like, she's good, like, four foot tall about him, isn't it? And she's I just, thought they were the same height. No, she's taller than him. I, look, I saw that straight away. Oh, okay. She towers over him, but... But... I thought, yeah, I thought it was far from, I thought it was mother and son at one time. <laughs> yeah, but again, no, we're talking, this is a, we're talking, this is movie land, isn't it? So it's not... Yeah. It's not out of the realms of possibility in movie land that some, some average-looking guy is going to get some haughty. You know why I also hated him? And I think Prog might relate to this as well. You know the very beginning where he's eating grapes yeah. and spitting them out the window? Yeah. Oh, but yeah. But the first one hits the window. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I would have stopped the car and told him to fuck off. And he doesn't even doesn't wipe it off. He just does the window down. <laughs> Didn't even wipe it off the window. It's like a mitt. What are you doing like? Yeah, get a wet wipe and wipe it up. Are we into are we into things we change it? Are we? Oh no, I I, I like it, but I like it, but I'm just saying that's what I hated him at the beginning. I grew to love him as the film went on. Yeah, that grapes uh, incident is a perfect example of how they're trying to build some sort of uh, clash between the characters, isn't it? I will say he is very ballsy though. As a man, like hmm. that one, that one bit when Sally's just having a smooch up with Joe in the airport. I don't know anyone else that would just walk up into the middle of that and be like, "Hello." <laughs> that- no, no, I got a minute now. I got a minute now. I, I think based on the story you told the other day, it's apparent that you would never do it. Can I, can I tell that story quickly? Because um, I think that's yeah, go on. Yeah, go on. Podcast worthy, right? Because so, uh, it's definitely relevant to your attitude towards Harry approaching. It did make me think of that. So uh, the other day, right, uh, me and me, Proc and Tom were, um, Tom was a, a writer on the bail. The three of us were, were writing, but um, Prog met Tom and I was meeting them afterwards. And um, as I was walking through Cardiff to go meet up with them, um, this guy I know and Tom knows uh, was walking out of the train station with his, with his boyfriend, right? And... Um, he was, they were, they were, I know him, but he was hand in hand with this other guy. And it's like, I didn't really, you know, like we just like, but like, oh, we're together. I'm not going to, they were a bit too far ahead of me for me to say hello. So I was a bit like, I don't need to say hello here because it would have been a stop and chat sort of thing as well. So I kind of slowed down a little bit and I'd let him really get ahead of me. And I was just like, yeah, I'm fine by you. I'm uh, they're a good, like, there's no way I'm going to catch up with them and have to do the awkward stop and chat. I was walking along, music playing, and all of a sudden they both stopped and started necking each other in the middle of the street. And I'm stood there like, fuck, I can't stop and wait for them to finish neck and keep walking because then it'll look like I'm just stood there watching them neck. So I have to keep walking. So I kept walking in my head thinking, please just like stop, stop now and start walking or keep necking as I walk past and get ahead of you because I could just speed up then. But no, right? They stopped necking as I was like next to them, as I was like mid-pass. And it was just like, it was just the most uncomfortably, and he, he saw me as I was walking past them as well. So, but then I didn't say hello. I just kept walking, and I was just like, so I like. And then, as soon as I got ahead of him, my pace went from like, I, I was pretty much running at that point then to get towards Tom's because I was just like, this is the most awkward situation. I've I'm just gonna say now, Ad, right? <laughs> you made that so much more awkward than it needed to be because all you needed to do is as you passed if they broke their clinch you just go alright mate and you carry on walking that's that's worse because then imagine if you just finished necking someone then like someone's like oh, mate. did I say lean in I didn't, I didn't say lean in did I <laughs> it was like my face listeners can't see this but my face was just straightforward just like just like get out of this situation just get out of this situation. There's no periphery at all in your vision at that moment. He's a lovely... If, if um, that person is listening to this... I'm not going to say their name, but if that person is listening to this right now and they remember that situation, um, I'm still your friend. And um, if I ever see you again, uh, let's go get a coffee. We'll leave it that. There's no <laughs> unless, unless he's with his boyfriend passionately necking, is it? No one wants to go to that coffee. If, if, <laughs> regardless, if, who wants to go to coffee with a couple they know? Man and woman, whatever the genders, and just necking each other. Yeah, I, I haven't got a lot of time for uh, public signs of uh, affection. 
That's only because you won't even hold your wife's hand in public, and yeah, well, really? I walk around with my hand in, in her back jeans pocket <laughs> <laughs> with no in a vest. Yeah, she's mine. <laughs> Hands off. As long as you have, as long as you have your hand down the front of her jeans, it's all right. <laughs> my prop. <laughs> Come on, let's get back to this film for the second time. Um, yeah. or third time even. Um, my other favorite aspect is the use of saxophone in the film. There's one particular oh, scene, wow. I think it's when Harry's just wandering around. There's an epic bit of sax. And it's in the 80s. Why wouldn't you have sax? Yeah. Can I just say as well, big shout out to Mark Shaman, the composer, who composed one of my favourite films ever. Does anyone know what it is? Hairspray. No, South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, just off there. Yeah, I did the music for that. Really talented musical guy. He did do the music for Hairspray as well. Yeah. But can I just say, though, right, and I have no problem with the soundtrack, but this song does have one of the most annoying songs of all time in it. Don't say you have to be you. What song's that? The main song. No, no. It's not the one that goes like this. Potato, potato, tomato. No, no, no. That's Louis Armstrong. It's the worst song I've ever heard in my life. I'm, I'm sorry, Louis Armstrong fans out there, but that song is fucking annoying. Potato. That's the worst song you've ever heard in your life. One of Potato, potato, tomato. But you get to hear that voice. Fuck off. That song is fucking annoying. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, fans of Louis Armstrong right now. Just my opinion. I, I, uh, I gotta say, I love the soundtrack on this film. Not that song, or any the rest of the song looks fine, except for that song. That song, fuck, bro. How about at the end? There's a woman singing it. It's like, get where's this, what is with this annoying song? Even... But they, they paid for the rights to the song, so they may as well use it, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. Data, tomato. Wait until we wait until we manage to make a film now, and we and we use the same song twenty five times, just different ways. If we if we the next episode of the veil, it's going to be a scene we're beating this walking down the street. It's just like data, tomato, data, beta. Ah, get stuck in it's stuck in my head as well. That's the other annoying thing about it. Sorry. Right, moving on. Favorite scene. You, you've got Meg Ryan as your favourite aspect, so we're moving on to favourite scene. Um, Prog, favourite scene? Uh, I could pick quite a few here. Um, I love all the dialogue scenes between Harry and his, uh, and his mate. Can I jump on that that one then? The, the football yeah. game, on the baseball. Are they, what are they watching? Baseball or no, football? it's the American football game. They, they go to watch an American football game, but they play baseball later on. All right. Um, it, yeah, it's the one where he tells that she's asked for a divorce or his first wife. That Great. punchline, that symptom is, yeah, and that symptom is fucking my wife. That's such a good line. Such a good line. But my favourite scene this time, and I was quite surprised while I was watching it, was the dinner scene between, was when uh, Harry and Sally try to, set each other up with Marie and Jess. Goes to get Meg Ryan and leaves with Princess Leia. Landing yeah. on his feet that night, but... Hey, Jess lands on his feet in this film, not just Harry, is it? Let's be Bruno, honest. The, the, uh, let's be honest. In this film, the boys do well. Rest in peace, Bruno Kirby. Yeah. And rest in peace, Princess Leia. Oh, yeah. Fucking up the both guys. Yeah. I really enjoy the interplay and also the facial expressions. Marie has quoted... Jess back to him and he's on it in a flash and says he's a writer, I wrote that and Harry trying to bring it back around to Sally and says Sally's a writer as well, she's a reporter and Jess just goes, oh yeah and he's back to Marie straight away he's not bothering with Sally anymore, I just love that little sort of uh, facial expression that Jess does, it's just little things like that that I pick up on uh, after watching the film I don't know, for the fortieth time. I was just glancing at my notes now, and I want to ask you a question here, right? Because I, I, I need to ask, because I'm not going to get anyone else to mention it. But do you know the dance scene in the film, and they have this dance, I forget what part of the film is it now, but they, they touch cheeks, they get a bit close to each other. Yeah, New Year's, and it's New Year's Eve, and it's halfway through the film. There's a mood change yes. during that. Do you think Sally felt Harry's lob on? Uh, no. Something happens there. No, I think that's... There's a sudden facial expression change from Sally. No, it's, it's, an ex, it's a change from both of them. That's the point at which they start to become attracted to each other. 
if you know if you notice the plot of the film, as soon as that happens, the New Year's Eve party, they start to become attracted to each other. So then they go on the double date. So it's almost like they're trying to pair each other off to not go with each other. People on Lob on is still showing what they're attracted to each other. It could have been Billy Crystal, like, did she just feel my lob on? And and Sally's like, I just felt this lob on. That expression does work for both of them at that moment. So I'm just saying, just felt like, you know, I just watched them and thinking, mm, this is a bit... Uh, I, guess we'll, I guess we'll never know. They were all human beings, right? What's your favourite scene, Ad? I don't really know. I mean, I... I, 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 by the way, I just want to preview. I don't. I actually do quite like this film. It's, it's like you know, it's not like the best I've ever made. You know what I mean? But it's just like it's just one of those films you just watch in the background. It's like, but you know, it's quite. It's just you know. I think the. I do think the first half of the film is better than the last half because I do have all of my problems are going to come in towards the end of the film because I have a lot of problems around there. But um, you know, I think I think the scene. I think the the best bits is when they're younger and like, you know, think. Not the scene when he's in the car spitting fucking grapes everywhere, but no, they, they first go to that cafe together. And you see After Meg they Ryan. meet in the bookstore, yeah. Yeah, and I think this is a bit more about me and my Meg Ryan crush here, but, like, you know, when she sat down and stuff with her legs out and stuff, and, you know, he sat opposite her and, you know, just good stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm messing around. No, I just, I just think that all the best stuff is in the first half of the movie. Because I think in that first half of the movie, you see three stages of their personalities or their character, don't you? Like yeah. they, you can, you, it's weird because I think the first time you watch it, you might not notice it. Yeah. But rewatching the film, you can definitely see the subtle changes to their character and how they talk and how they interact. One thing I thought was funny and quite realistic was how Meg Ryan changes the story, and obviously you know, but she changes the story because it only happened five minutes ago in the film. But um, I can't think of an example now. But there's a couple of times where like um, something he said in the first scene they met to annoy her. She yeah. kind of moves back and exaggerates loads. And I was like, oh, that's quite realistic. Well, I'll give you a perfect example, right? When she's with Joe, she's trying to remember the name of her old college roommate. And then when <laughs> Harry sits next to her and he can't remember her name, she berates him for not remembering the name, even though she couldn't remember herself to begin with. Yes. That's, that's an example of the dialogue, though, and the, and the screenplay. That is such good writing. That is true. That's yeah. That's good because you and the, you are on. You are in on Meg Ryan's little uh, secret there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I did like that. I thought that was cool. Before we move on to changes, I, I mentioned like what sport was it earlier on in Prague? You know, cleared it up that they were watching a football game, but they went to like um some sort of batting practice, and I being a someone from the UK, obviously, and only been to America once, I, ah, oh, I, 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 I was questioning myself, or like, do those batting facilities still exist? Because I'd love to go to one of them. They were yeah, amazing. They there's got to be one in the, there's got to be one in the UK somewhere. Because it just reminded me of like, um, what do you get? You get them in golf. You know, what are they called? Uh, a shooting range, range or a whatever. Range, yeah. yeah, a range. And I was just thinking... Because they were putting quarters in here, and he said to that kid, like, oh, I've got a pocket full of quarters. And I was just thinking, oh, it's fucking amazing. Just check a quarter in, you get so many balls. Brilliant. Love, I'd love that. It looks quite terrifying as well, though. Like, that, imagine that bullet in you. Oh, they'd bloody hurt, wouldn't they? Yeah. Maybe that's why they don't have them Maybe we can't get the health and safety. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Right. Let's move on to the changes. And this isn't a change I'd necessarily make, but I'm just going to make an observation. And I, it's, and I know it's written in a way for, to do this, but I do find the orgasm scene really uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> and I know it's written that way because you want, because, you know, it's, it's so that Billy Crystal is felt awkward in that scenario. But I think I've seen it so many times and people quote it so many times. I I've just had enough of it. I've sat in that chair. Have you really? Yeah, I had food in that chair when I was out in New York. <laughs> you know, there's a kid. Well, I'm not saying it happens all the time, but uh, the day that we went, I I've been to that restaurant a few times when I was out there. But on one of the days we went, there was a queue to sit at that table. <laughs> really? Yeah. Do you want to know a fact about that scene, which I, if you might know from your research? Go on, I do tell you. 
the woman who says, I'll have what she's having, is Rob Reiner's mother. Oh, yeah. And um, Billy Crystal came up with the line. Yeah. Because initially that scene is not, or certainly not how it was played in the film, was not in the script originally. But uh, I think when they were rewriting or when they came to shooting, they were worried that too much of the film was focusing on Harry and that Sally's character wasn't being able to, to do a lot in comparison. Uh, they were saying, like, maybe we should have a scene of, of, of that conversation. Maybe we should have a conversation about faking orgasm. And then they took it to Meg Ryan and she said, well, why didn't I just fake one in the middle of a restaurant? I, I, I tell you what is good about it, and you've mentioned it already. Her journey as a character or as a person, let's put it that way, she would never have done that in as if you'd first met her in the film. No, in mm. that first restaurant, she wouldn't have done it because as a character, or as like again, as I said, as a person, she's of an age, she's probably late teens, early twenties, where she she's just finding herself. Yeah. I, I, I put it slightly I put it slightly differently. To you, I think you're on on the right track there, but I'll put it slightly differently. If you look at the diner scene at the beginning of the film when they're on their journey, Harry gets her to say something. Uh, he gets her to say, "I've had plenty of good sex out loud as they're entering the diner," but it's done on instinct. Yeah, he's almost he's got it out of her as an accident. But the orgasm, the fake orgasm scene, is deliberate on her part. It's almost like he's got a rise out of her, but she's been able to control it and do it in a way where it's like, oh, I'll show you this time. Yeah. Come on, then. What other change? What changes have you got? I'm not changing anything. Oh, I got some changes, but one add. Do this bit. Um, the, this is the thing that not just this film does, but a few films do, right? and it it annoys me because I always think about it afterwards, right? And the bit in the bookshop. Where he says, so what happened to you guys in terms of like her and Joe? And then it cuts to them at a restaurant and she's telling the story, right? <laughs> so this is what I'm thinking right now, right? Either she said, I'll answer it if you buy me lunch or whatever. Or the story was so long that she's still telling it by the time they go up for dinner. Or she's told, or she's answered him twice. This is an editing technique that you hate, isn't it? I fucking hate it. And it's annoying and it makes no sense. It just makes you think afterwards. You're like, did she just answer him twice? And this is the second time that having this exact same conversation hours later or an hour later, or is the story so long it's taken this long to reach this point? I don't understand. I don't understand why you get annoyed by it so much. Hey, I can't stand it. It's annoying. Yeah, but it happens in so many films. I know, and I hate it then. I'm not saying you shouldn't hate it. What I'm saying is... Surely you should try to look past it because it's just going to ruin your enjoyment of films for no reason, really. I mean, it, it doesn't affect the story. I don't write the film off. I just think it's lazy. I'm just like, it's lazy. It's not lazy. It's actually a quite a clever editing technique. It's not clever. There's loads of questions leaves up in the air. It's, 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 um, it's, it's non-logical. It's not, it's illogical. It makes no sense. So you're like, what? Like, so what's, what's going on between there? What's, What's going on between the... That's like me saying to you, how are you doing, Prog? And then it cuts then to me and you in a cafe. You're like, I'm okay, actually. Ad, you're trying to explain... <laughs> it you're, trying no to, Ad, you're trying to explain it to me as if I don't know what they're doing. I know what they're doing. It's a film technique. I'm fully aware of what the cut is. I'm just saying that in terms of a film, to save time and to make the film more interesting, it's a technique that... Sh Why shouldn't it be used? It annoys the fuck out of me, okay? It's just stupid and, like, it should not... They should have just had the entire scene play out in that bookshop. I don't know why they couldn't do that. Because they go for dinner Maybe the bookshop maybe the bookshop scene is boring. Maybe they want to have it a different setting. I'd rather I'm not I'm not saying that they shouldn't change it to what you're saying. I'm not saying in terms of the film it would have affected my enjoyment that much. I don't know if it would have. All I'm saying is is that I didn't see that cut happen and think, oh, I didn't enjoy I didn't I don't like that they've done that. You're not going to change your mind. It's just, it's just one of those things. I'm, not, try I'm not trying to change but, my mind. But, um, to all film directors out there and editors as well, ban this technique. No. Oh, I so can't wait to do something where I do that and you watch it. 
It's not going to happen. And like, I will not be involved in that. Are you, are you going to switch it off? Are you going to switch it off and walk out? I get up and walk out the cinema. I just feel like I'm done. Like, I'm, no, no, <laughs> no. How did you walk out? I'm, I'm done with this friendship. If I I'm ever do with... something without dad, I'm going to get him to the premiere. And I'm gonna make sure that that type of edit is in the first five minutes, just so I can see him walk out in the first five minutes. I'm gonna do if I ever, if I might one day, um, I might do that as a joke and just have the scene break down and afterwards be like, wait a minute, why are you telling me this again? I might just, it'd be funny to have a character say that to someone else after the cuts, like. Wait, well, no, I tell you what you could do. That in the bookshop. You, I tell you what you could do. Every word they say, they're in a different location. Oh God! Imagine filming that. Yeah, it's something from Naked Gun. Isn't it? Um, just have a quick, just have a quick, so we have a quick change, right? The batting cage scene. Let's get back onto that a little bit, the guy, right? Do you think that's really true male dialogue? You made a woman meow. True male dialogue. Do you to be a bit more rougher and rawer in real life? A bit more like, you know, when is this in Jesse Bruno Kirby's or like, you know, you love this girl. You got to change. Like it's all like you made a like. I think men are a bit more just like spooky, bro. It'd be a bit like, don't ah, be a bit more like we're that. talking about a PG film, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we're not we're not talking about a road trip, yeah. <laughs> point, yeah. yeah. It's actually rated 15. Amazon made a mistake. It's a 15 rated film. As you don't get an orgasm scene in the PG, and they say fuck once in it as well. So it's a yeah, but you're not going to get language like that all the time in a film that they want people to watch. I get what you I get what you're saying. If if we were to write that scene. The language would be different. Definitely. Know, no, we can It's a bit more flippant. That's what I'm saying. It's a bit more, yeah. it's a bit more flippancy in there. But, but that, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that everyone is flippant when they talk to their friends. Um, I got a, I got a couple more, but they're not major ones. But um, I, but I want to kind of get it off my chest a little bit, right? Um, yeah, go on. Um, first off, I, this is just in the middle of my notes. There, Harry versus Helen, his ex-wife. He comes out on top. Doesn't he? Like that bit when she comes in. Who's that guy? She's with. He's a, he looks like Larry. She, she's a bit of a dish, isn't she? She's, she's nice. a good-looking lady. She's in parenthood. That guy she's with looks like another guy from Men in Black. Like, you know, when he's in the cat, the guy with the cat. He's a bit yes. of like a proper, like, old-looking, Vesta, Adams Family-looking guy she's with. And he stood there with Meg Ryan. He should just be like, ah, how's it going, mate? How's it going? But, like... Aira. His name's Aira. Yeah, what, just a weird scene. Um... Decorating the house, the guy that tries to get his oh, Jesse when he tries to get his wheel and get shot down. Not a change. I don't mind that scene at all. But I just it made me think actually, like you know, women get their way a lot, don't they? With decorating, men never get to choose something <laughs> in the house. Like I just made me think about that. Like you know, I'm like, why can't he just have that table? Like, the, like most pe- men, you live with their wives. You know, I bet they don't really care about the furniture in the house, and they just like whatever. But like, but it, is that why? Um, is that why? I, I think this is like a, a generalization, but is that why most men get a room in the house? Sometimes, but I just feel like that's Andrew's the best person to ask about this because at the moment Adam is in the same oh, yeah. haven of, of my house. So when he moves in with Liz, he's going to find out what actually happens. But well, I've lived with, I've lived with an ex girlfriend before, and I, I I know where Jesse's coming from. But when we started talking about this, then Andrew, to listen as a guy, right, he sort of bit his knuckles, and it just looked like. Come round my house, Ad, and I'll po- and I'll point out every bit of furniture that I've chosen in the house, and you could probably go away with no information. Well, I can well, I can, well, I can see it from you. It's a Spider-Man picture in the background. <laughs> All right. So I have a loft room, which yeah. um was my room, and Prog will know this. But if you come round, you'll open up a cabinet, and um, I've got like all the old sort of Segas and Nintendos and things, and it was my room. You know, it, it was the loft room. It was Andrew's room, which has now was. been taken over by kids' clothes and drying of clothes. Yeah, so, you got a tumble dryer up there now, haven't you? Yeah, it's behind me. Yeah, it's not your room anymore. No, no, no. I, I'm an inconvenience in this room. Basically, Rachel probably every other week tells me to sell my consoles. See, <laughs> so, I mean, get rid of the console so they can put a new three-piece suite of some sort of like. Lamp there or something. It's always, you know, it's always a lamp. It's always so, extra light. Yeah, but and and what would you rather bet? Would you rather some old consoles or would you rather a wife and a couple of kids? Consoles, hundred <laughs> percent. Bruno Kirby liked that wheel coffee table thing. I know. Like, 
I, I got to be honest, right? I thought that wagon wheel table was okay. But everyone has a problem with it. There. Like, the way that Sally's just like, done like that. Yeah. It's like, I don't love. Sally's not, Sally's not saying you should burn it, is it? Well, he's chucking it in the bin. <laughs> but, but it does look like they live in a bar. I will admit that. You don't like the wagon wheel coffee table? It's not, it wouldn't, it um, wouldn't be my first choice in my but, living space. No, I, I agree with that. It wouldn't be my first choice either. But if some, if I if I bought a house and it was furnished and that was in there, I wouldn't be in a rush to change it. It's about what the wagon wheel table represents. Just for like, you know, for the women, for the female listeners out there, every once in a while, let your fella choose the curtains. Why not? No, curtains are the worst thing to do. No, no. I don't want to choose curtains. I'd rather choose something else. But next time, you know, a couple's out at home base and you're like buying, I don't know, throws or something. You know, if the guy's like, I like that throw, just... If Rachel was here now, she'd probably say to you, yeah, I let Andrew pick something. But in her head, she strategically has let me pick something insignificant. As I'm talking about this, though, I just realised, when I started talking about frozen cushions and curtains, I was actually mad, thinking, actually, I, I wouldn't give a fuck what they look like anyway, so... <laughs> exactly. So this, this, All this you point, want is a quiet life. This this point is actually, like, completely pointless. I'm just saying... Ad, you care more about what's in your sandwich than what's going to be on the on the walls for the next 10 years. Yeah, like same as Andrew. As long as I get off my film collection in the house, I'm fucking happy. Yeah, exactly. It, it'll be hidden behind the curtain. But yeah. it'll be there. Don't worry. A third, a third curtain in the room that's not needed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've got three more. I've got three more. Changes. Come on, rattle through them. Rattle through them. Okay. Weird bit of the film. Meg Ryan when she's crying over the Joe marriage thing, throwing tissues over the floor. What's going on with that? Because I have an issue with Meg Ryan crying anyway. I will say this is a. Oh, yeah, it's a bit awkwardly acted. I'll, I'll agree there. But first thing, right? She's this prim and proper, like, has to have all of the sides and stuff on the plate. Her flat's immaculate, but she's throwing tissues around the place. I didn't buy that. I was like... All, oh. all I'll say is she's an emotional mess, so she's not thinking straight. I know, but, like, you know, I still think that, like, that that neatness is ingrained into her a bit. I don't think she would have thrown tissues over the floor. That's the one thing, but we can move off that, right? Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher wanting Harry and Sally to get together. Like, it's obsessed with it. Um... When does why does this happen all the time in rom coms? It's always like that couple batter together, but they it seems to be that they, their entire life's purpose is their friends getting together as a couple. What what purpose does their life have after they get together? I just think that's a bit of a weird trope rom coms tend to have sometimes. I, I didn't get the impression that they were obsessed with Harry and Sally getting together. It's like I put down bad rom com trope, is what I put next to this. Um. Just like when they're on the phones together and stuff, and we're just like, oh my god, they didn't get together. Like, I tell you, the worst thing in that scene is that they got their own individual telephone lines. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, that's a question I've got. Who has their own individual lines? I didn't even consider that. Never change it. And um, what's my last? Um, this isn't really a problem, but it's a sort of hmm. Uh, sort of like hmm, I wonder if this is what they're going for. Does Sally say Marie, a.k.a. Carrie Fisher's wedding dress, is nice out of spite and jealousy because that is the worst wedding dress I've ever seen? No, she doesn't. That is the worst wedding dress I've ever seen. That's... Ever. Uh, ad, you and I know, nothing about, I know nothing about dresses. I'm sorry, I'm going to take umbrage here now, right? Not because I think the wedding dress is great, but because you watch shit TV shows like My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding and you're telling me that's the worst <laughs> wedding dress you've ever seen. It is. It is. Now, no, no. I don't know anything about wedding dress. Liz watches, Liz watches Bridezilla Dress Wars or whatever the fuck it's like. Thing when they choose dresses, right? The right dress or something on Channel Four or something. And every wedding dress I've ever seen looks exactly the same. They just all look the same. But that one was like that's bad, and that's the only time in my life I've ever thought that. You gotta remember, it was the eighties. Everything. No, but like I know, but like what is that dress? And I was like, in. But if you watch the scene, because I actually rung the scene to watch that to watch Sally's like. In, like the way she's talking to her, she's like, "Is this dress nice?" And she's a bit like, "Yeah." That's how she delivers the line. And I'm thinking, she doesn't. She's saying that to be. She's saying that to fuck with Marie because she's a bit. No, she's not. She's not. She's saying, "Oh, Marie," as if she's beautiful. Because women always look beautiful in a wedding dress. I don't think she liked the dress, but she said she liked the dress because Carrie Fisher's character liked the, liked the dress. That's what I read into that scene. 
I read into it that she was being a bit like, yeah. Because she secretly at that wedding, she's a bit like, mm, my dress would be better than that. That's what I thought. Because that's the worst wedding dress I've ever seen. Also, and then, um, yeah, I, I just, I do think this is a big controversial one. I would recast Billy Crystal. If I was, if, if I had hindsight on my side and was able to go back, I would have recast Billy Crystal as someone else. Because Well, I know why you would have put it in straight away. Come on then, who? Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. I knew you, sir. Steve Martin. Oh, Steve Martin's old. Younger back then. You can't take Billy Crystal out. I'd rather have Billy Crystal than Steve Martin. Martin's still old. As I was watching, I would have picked Steve Martin in this. No. Good relationship with Rob Reiner because he worked with his dad, Carl Reiner, on Mamma Two Brains and stuff. And I just, and this is a time when Steve Martin was kind of getting into rom coms and he's very good at doing rom coms, Steve Martin is. And I kind of thought, yeah. yeah. I, I love Steve Martin. I think he's a really good actor, but I wouldn't have him over Billy Crystal in this. Was he in Roxanne or whatever it was called? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good film. After saying Tom Hanks, nobody else is going to be. You're only seeing that because it was in Seattle, though. Yeah, and but Tom Hanks is great at anything. He'd be. Yeah. And Tom Hanks is brilliant opposite Meg Ryan. If he had done this as well, they would have had a trilogy of top notch rom coms. Imagine this, right? This actor never done a rom com in his life. Sly. <laughs> Imagine Sly in this, like a really weird, his agent's just like, Sly, I know we got action films booked up for you for the next like four years, right? But we're thinking right now, easy shoots, you and Meg Ryan, when Harry met Sally. I'll give you another one. Seagal. Oh, oh man. Steven's, no, Steven Seagal. He's got too much, I'm just going to, I'm sorry, Steven Seagal, if you're listening, but uh, <laughs> sexual predator vibes. Yeah. And I just think that like, Whenever I watch a Steven Seagal film, I think to myself, man, no. Like, when he kisses the girl at the end, I'm always like, no. Oh, and we've lost Steven Seagal as a listener now, and that means we've probably gone down to seven listeners. <laughs> Come on. Sorry, Steven Seagal. Nah, my, my, my substitute would be Tom Hanks, but I love Billy Crystal in this film, so I'm happy. Right, we're wrapping up this podcast, because I'm not entirely sure we've spoken about this film much. Uh, so, Ad, I'm going to come to you. You've probably been the most vocal about the film. Would you recommend? Oh, yeah, I'd recommend, yeah. Prog? I know what the answer is. A big, fat yes from you. And to be honest, it's a fat, big, fat yes from me as well. I, I did enjoy it. I, I'm glad I watched it the other day. Probably haven't... Well, I said at the beginning, I haven't seen it. Um, or if I had seen it, I'd forgotten it, and it was probably years ago. So, <laughs> right. Podcasts come out every Wednesday. Check us out on social media. Uh, and if you want us to do a film in the future, please let us know. Cheers, all. <laughs>